Welcome to Trifecta Now, Living A Course in Miracles. This is season five, and it's called The Book Club. This is chapter one. Welcome back. Sorry about all the problems with the live book club. That will happen in the middle of September. Unfortunately, there's a lot of things going on right now and in my life, and it's been really difficult for me to get all of this stuff sorted out and get it rolling. So I didn't want to hold back on those people who are listening to the podcast every bi-weekly, and I wanted to make sure that all of you had a chance to go through this as a book club as well. So I'm going to start today with chapter one. Now, just prior to chapter one, I'm going to do a little bit from the preface at the beginning of the book, and it's on page 10, so it's in uh, Roman numerals, and that's the X. And I'm going to start with, I'm just going to take a little section, and I might go back each chapter, because this preface, when you read it, I remember the first time I read it, it was like, whoa. And then when I read the book and I went back and read it again, it, it made more sense. It didn't make a lot of sense when I read it prior to reading the book. So I'm going to just take a little part from it and then I'll start on chapter one. So on page 10, I'm going to read in the middle where it says, what it says, nothing real can be threatened. Nothing unreal exists. Herein lies the peace of God. This is how A Course in Miracles begins. It makes a fundamental distinction between the real and the unreal, between knowledge and perception. Knowledge is truth under one law, the law of love or God. Truth is unalterable, eternal, and unambiguous. It can be unrecognized, but it cannot be changed. It implies to everything that God created, and only what He created is real. It is beyond learning because it is also beyond time and process. It has no opposite, no beginning, and no end. It merely is. The world of perception, on the other hand, is the world of time, of change, of beginnings and endings. It is based on interpretation, not on facts. It is the world of birth and death, founded on the belief in scarcity, loss, separation, and death. It is learned rather than given selective in its perceptual emphasis, unstable in its functioning, and inaccurate in its perceptions. And on the next page, page 11 at the top, it says, when you have been caught in the world of perception, you are caught in a dream. You cannot escape without help because everything your senses show merely witnesses to the reality of the dream. A little bit further down, it says, it is the Holy Spirit's goal to help us escape from the dream world by teaching us how to reverse our thinking and unlearn our mistakes. Forgiveness is the Holy Spirit's great learning aid in bringing this thought reversal about. However, the Course has its own definition of what forgiveness really is, just as it defines the world in its own way. So that's how we'll start. If we go to chapter one, the meaning of miracles, and you can hear me turning the pages because I have to go along with this too. So in chapter one, the meaning of miracles, the first section is called the principle of miracles. So the book lays out 50 principles. 
I'm not going to read them all, but I'm going to highlight a few. So I'll tell you each one as I say them. So number one, start with number one. There is no order of difficulty in miracles. One is not harder or bigger than another. They are all the same. All expressions of love are maximal. Number three, miracles occur naturally as expressions of love. The real miracle is the love that inspires them. In this sense, everything that comes from love is a miracle. Number five, miracles are habits and should be involuntary. They should not be under conscious control. Consciously selected miracles can be misguided. Number six, miracles are natural. Number nine, miracles are a kind of exchange. Like all expressions of love, which are always miraculous in the true sense, the exchange reverses the physical laws. They bring more love both to the giver and the receiver. Number 12 says miracles are thoughts. On the next page, which is page four, number 13 at the top says miracles are both beginnings and endings. And so they alter the temporal order. There are always affirmations of rebirth, which seems to go back, but really go forward. Number 14, miracles bear witness to truth. Number 15, each day should be devoted to miracles. The purpose of time is to enable you to learn how to use time constructively. 16 says miracles are teaching devices for demonstrating it is as blessed to give as to receive. They simultaneously increase the strength of the giver and supply strength to the receiver. 18 says a miracle is a service. 19 says, miracles make minds one in God. 20 says, miracles reawaken the awareness that the spirit, not the body, is the altar of truth. 21 says, miracles are natural signs of forgiveness. 23 says, miracles rearrange perception and place all levels in true perception This is healing because sickness comes from confusing the levels. Number 24, not right away, just sentence two says, you are a miracle, capable of creating in the likeness of your creator. Everything else is your own nightmare and does not exist. Only the creations of light are real. On the next page, page five says, number 26 says, miracles represent freedom from fear. 28 says miracles are a way of earning release from fear. 29 says miracles praise God through you. They praise him by honoring his creations, affirming their perfection. 31 says miracles should be in, should inspire gratitude, not awe. You should thank God for what you really are. The children of God are holy and the miracle honors their holiness, which can be hidden but never lost. 33 says, miracles honor you because you are lovable. They dispel illusions about yourself and perceive the light in you. 34 says, miracles restore the mind to its fullest. 35 says, miracles are expressions of love, but they may not always have observable effects. 38 at the bottom says, the Holy Spirit is the mechanism for miracles, of miracles. Next page, he recognizes both God's creations and your illusions. He separates the true from the false by his ability to perceive totally rather than 
selectively. Number 40 says the miracle acknowledges everyone as your brother and mine. 43 says miracles arise from a miraculous state of mind or a state of miracle readiness. And the final one I'm going to emphasize is 47. The miracle is a learning device that lessens the need for time. On page seven, under revelations, time and miracles. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I've highlighted some of the reading. I'll tell you where I am and so you can stay with me. And I may stop and explain it as I've done um, in the podcast in the past. So there are parts that I think it might be worthy of explaining what they're referring to or what they're talking about at this point. So Revelation, uh, paragraph one at the top says, Revelation induces complete but temporary suspension of doubt and fear. Sentence five says, Revelation unites you directly with God. Miracles unite you directly with your brother. Neither emanates from consciousness, but both are experienced there. Consciousness is the state that induces action, though it does not inspire it. You are free to believe what you choose, and what you do attest to is what you believe. Paragraph two, revelation is intensely personal and cannot be meaningfully translated. Sentence three says revelation induces only experience where miracles, on the other hand, induce action. Sentence seven in that same paragraph says, Revelation is literally unspeakable because it is an experience of unspeakable love. (laughs) So revelation is something that we haven't yet experienced, the majority of us, and it's hard to put into words when you don't really know what love is. Number three, paragraph three says, awe should be reserved for revelation to which it is perfectly and correctly applicable. It is not appropriate for miracles because a state of awe is worshipful, implying that one, that one of a lesser order stands before his creator. You are a perfect creation and should experience awe only in the presence of the creator of perfection. The miracle is therefore a sign of love among equals. Equals should not be in awe of one another because awe implies inequality. So they're referencing that we would be in awe of our creator, of God, because he is at the top. He's number one. But we should never be in awe of anyone less than below him. And the rest of our brothers and sisters and of Christ, the Holy Spirit, none of them, because God created everyone. The next page, which is page eight, paragraph five starts with revelations are indirectly inspired by me because I am close to the Holy Spirit and alert to the revelation readiness of my brother. And then the last sentence in that paragraph number four says, revelation is not reciprocal. It proceeds from God to you, but not from you to God. So I'm just going to clarify when there's a reference to sounding in the first person. So this was a perfect example. Um, paragraph five says revelations are indirectly inspired by me. So I'm not talking about myself. This is Christ talking. So this book does channel Christ. And at times when you hear, when you hear me or I will, that's Christ telling us directly. Um, other times it's in the third person. And I want to be really clear that when we talk about the sonship or the son of God, we're talking about everyone. So the son of God does not mean Christ. 
in this book. It means everyone. So I think that's really important for everyone to understand. And the reciprocal part here is they're saying that it um, revelation is not reciprocal for this reason. It's because it proceeds from God to you, but not from you to God, right? So God would be giving us the revelation. We wouldn't be giving it to God. That's why it's not reciprocal. Paragraph six, sentence six, I'm going to jump right down to there is no relationship between the time a miracle takes and the time it covers. The miracle substitutes for learning that might've taken thousands of years. It does so by the underlying recognition of perfect, perfect equality of giver and receiver on which the miracle rests. The miracle shortens time by collapsing it, thus eliminating certain intervals within. It does this, however, with the larger temporal sequence. So what they're referring to here is that miracles aren't based on time. Miracles exist in eternity. And it makes reference to that when some miracles happen, if it because they can become a learning device, if you learn something, you actually change the temporal order of time. You kind of move forward in it because you've learned that lesson. Now, in the next section at the bottom of page eight, is atonement and miracles. So I'm going to tell you right now, as we start, that atonement is the undoing. So what atonement means in this book is that we have come to this mindset that we believe everything around us is real, that we think that this world is real. And it's not. (laughs) The book is clearly saying it's not real. And the atonement is to get to that point that to achieve that point where you know this isn't real, where you don't buy in to this anymore, where fear is not part of who you are or how you feel, and love and living in this moment and peace is all you're about. That's when you've atoned. So the first paragraph, paragraph one at the bottom says, I am in charge of the process of atonement. And when he says, I, we're we're talking about Christ again, which I undertook to begin when you offer a miracle to any of my brothers, you do it to yourself and me. The reason you become, sorry, the reason you come before me is that I do not need miracles for my own atonement, but I stand at the end in case you fail temporarily. My part in the atonement is the next page, top of the page, canceling out of all errors that you could not otherwise correct. So Christ is saying here is that Christ's role in the atonement is to help us achieve it. You know, he stands there at the end in case we fall, in case we have any problems. He is our brother and he's going to stand beside us as our brother and help us through this. Paragraph seven on page nine sorry, sentence seven on on page nine, and that's part of paragraph one still, says the power to work miracles belongs to you. I will provide the opportunities to do them, but you must be ready and willing. Sentence 10, a little bit, uh, one sentence off says, the ability is the potential. The achievement is its expression and the atonement, which is the natural profession of the children of God is the purpose. Paragraph two says, heaven and earth shall pass away, end quote, quote, end quote, means that they will not continue to exist as separate states. My word, which is the resurrection and the life, shall not pass away because life is eternal. You 
are the work of God, and His work is wholly lovable and wholly loving. This is how a man must think of himself in his heart, because this is what he is. So remembering that Christ, along with the Holy Spirit, are trying to make sure that we understand what our purpose is here. And the atonement is a big part of that purpose, is to figure out who we are and how we fit into this world. At the very bottom of the page, page nine, paragraph five says, error cannot really threaten truth, which can always withstand it. Only the error is actually vulnerable. You are free to establish your kingdom where you see fit, but the right choice is inevitable if you remember this. And this is on page 10. And it says this, spirit is in a state of grace forever. Your reality is only spirit. Therefore, you are in a state of grace forever. Uh, Toman undoes all errors in this respect and thus uproots the source of fear. So once we reach atonement, fear is gone and our connection to our father is greater than ever. Paragraph six says, you respond to what you perceive and as you perceive, so shall you behave. The golden rule asks that you do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This means that the perception of both must be accurate. The golden rule is the rule for appropriate behavior. You cannot behave appropriately unless you perceive correctly. So the book is suggesting that, you know, this is a great rule, but unless you understand what are, you fully understand your brothers and sisters and you fully accept them for who they are, then it's going to be really difficult for you to follow that rule. Paragraph seven says, miracles arise from a mind that is ready for them. By being united, this mind goes out to everyone, even without awareness of the miracle worker himself. Paragraph eight says that the miracle may have effects on your brothers that you may not recognize is not your concern. The miracle will always bless you. So it doesn't matter what the end result it is, is for you. All it matter, all that matters is that you put out that love and that respect and equality to all your brothers and sisters. Paragraph nine says, miracles are selective only in the sense that they are directed towards those who can use them for themselves. Since this makes it inevitable that they will extend them to others, a strong chain, next page 11, a strong chain of atonement is welded, right? So very simply says that, what will happen is when you give miracles to other people, they will naturally want to extend them to others. The next section of this uh, chapter is called the escape from darkness. Paragraph one says the escape from darkness involves two stages. First, the recognition that darkness cannot hide. This step usually entails fear. And second, the recognition that recognition that there is nothing you want to hide, even if you could. This step brings escape from fear. Paragraph three says, darkness is lack of light as sin is lack of love. It has no unique properties of of its own. It is an example of the scarcity belief from which only error can proceed. Truth is always abundant. 
those who perceive and acknowledge that they have everything have no need of any kind. The purpose of the atonement is to restore everything to you, or rather to restore it to your awareness. Next page, which is page 12. The uh, um, Number five says wholeness and spirit. Paragraph one says the miracle is much like the body and that both are learning aids for facilitating a state in which they become unnecessary. When spirit's original state of direct communication is reached, neither the body nor the miracle serves any purpose anymore. While you believe you are in a body, however, you can choose between loveless and miraculous channels of expression. You can make an empty shell, but you cannot express nothing at all. You can wait, delay, paralyze yourself, or reduce your creativity almost to nothing, but you cannot abolish it. You can destroy your medium of communication, but not your potential. You did not create yourself. Paragraph three at the bottom says, when the atonement has been completed, all talents will be shared by all the sons of God. God is not partial. All his children have his total love, and all his gifts are freely given to everyone alike. Sentence five near the bottom says, the specialness of God's sons does not stem from exclusion, but from inclusion. All my brothers are special. If they believe they are deprived of anything, their perception becomes distorted. When this occurs, the whole family, next page, page 13 at the top, the whole family of God or the sonship is impaired in its relationships. Paragraph four at the bottom sentence five says, the creation is whole and the mark of wholeness is holiness. Miracles are affirmations of sonship, which is a state of completion and abundance. Paragraph five says, whatever is true is eternal and cannot change or be changed. Spirit is therefore unalterable because it is already perfect. The mind can elect what it chooses to serve. And paragraph six says, a sentence one says, the miracle is a sign that the mind has chosen to be led by me in Christ's service. At the bottom, the other section, uh, next section is called the illusion of needs. And it's not the last part, second last part of this. Paragraph one says, you who want peace can find it only by complete forgiveness. Sentence three says, while lack does not exist in the creation of God, it is very apparent in what you have made. It is, in fact, the essential difference between them. Lack from lack from the one you are in, what, sorry, Oh, I think it's lack implies that you would be better off in a state somehow different from the one you were in. Sorry, I skipped a sentence. Until the separation, which is the meaning of the fall, nothing was lacking. There were no needs at all. Needs arise only when you deprive yourself. You act, next page, according to the particular order of needs you establish. This in turn depends on your perception of what you are. Paragraph two says a sense of separation from God is the only lack you really need to correct. Sentence three says the idea of 
order of needs arose because having made this fundamental error, you have already fragmented yourself into levels with different needs. So this is basically saying we do not lack anything. Anything we feel we lack is something we created. God gave us a perfect life with no lack. We chose our own way, free will, and then we added or we added the sense of lack to that. Paragraph four, a little bit further down, says the real purpose of this world is to use it to correct your unbelief. You can never control the effects of fear yourself because you made fear and you believe in what you made. Sentence four says belief produces the acceptance of existence. This is why you can believe what no one else thinks is true. It is true for you because it was made by you. Paragraph five says all aspects of fear are untrue because they do not exist at the creative level and therefore do not exist at all. Sentence three says in sorting out the false from the true, the miracle proceeds along these lines. And it says this perfect love casts out fear. If fear exists, then there is not perfect love, but only perfect love exists. If there is fear, it produces a state that does not exist. On the next page, page 15 at the top says, believe this and you will be free. The next section in this chapter, and I believe it's the last one because this is a a shorter chapter. We may not get through um, a full chapter each time. It'll all depend because I'm trying to be conscious of the time to fit it into um, 30 to 40 minutes and no longer than that because that's a lot of information. So it means that we'll just continue on possibly. Um, We may do half of a chapter and then go on to the next half, the following following podcast. So that's how we'll work this out. So distortions of miracle impulses. I'm going to start with paragraph two. Child of God, you were created to create the good, the beautiful, and the holy. Do not forget this. The love of God for a little while must still be expressed through one body to another because vision is still so dim. You can use your body best to help you enlarge your perception so you can achieve real vision of which the physical eye is incapable. Learning to do this is the body's only true youthful usefulness. Next page, which is page 16 and the last page of this chapter, paragraph four is at the top. It says, this is a course in mind training. All learning involves attention and study at some level. This is definitely a course in mind training because we have trained our minds to think differently. We don't think like God. We don't think like Christ. We have separated ourselves from that thought process, and this book will help you get it back. Paragraph five says, a solid foundation is necessary because of the confusion between fear and awe to which I've already referred and which is often made. I have said that awe is inappropriate in connection with the sons of God because you should not experience awe in the presence of your equals. However, it is also It was also emphasized that awe is proper in the presence of your creator. 
I have been careful to clarify my role in the atonement without either over or under stating it. And the last part, sentence 10, the means are being carefully explained to you. Revelation may occasionally reveal the end to you, but to reach it, the means are needed. And that's the end of chapter one. So if you have any questions or any comments, you can email them to me at trifectanow3 at gmail.com. And I will have that in the notes of this podcast so that you can go over that. So this is a very interesting first chapter because first of all, we learned that there's a lot of ways that we think that have a big, that play a big role in why we feel that we're lacking things, why we can't connect with our brothers and sisters, why we think there's this level of inequity that exists between people. You know, this stands out for me, the awe part, you know, the only, only person, and this, I don't mean as a physical person, but the only entity or being we should be in awe of is God. And I think about how this world has put, made us in awe of other people, you know, others making one person higher than another, making more one person more important than the other. This book clearly will say as we go along, and you'll see this, that there is no one that we should be in awe of. That equate, um, Equality suggests that everybody is exactly the same. Thanks for listening. And in two weeks, we are going to start chapter two. I'm not sure if we'll get through it all. I'm going to watch the time and see where we're at. And I will always try to sum up with some sort of final thought, as I did just now. I hope you enjoy this. And I look forward to continue continuing chapter two in two weeks. Have a wonderful day. It's Sunday. I actually taped this uh, Sunday morning. And I will see everybody in two weeks time. Thank you. And always love Denise.